Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, my name is David, and I'm one of the leaders here. And we are so glad that you've joined us for our third week of our Advent series. This morning, our, our theme is joy. And I was reminded this morning of uh, the biblical definition of joy. And I want you to hear this. The biblical definition of joy is that our joy is found in dependence on who Jesus is and his character. So the joy that we get is from him, not from the circumstance that we're in or even how good we are at keeping our promises because we all know we're really good at having good intentions but never following through. And so looking to Jesus, and that's where our joy comes from. Hey, this first song we're gonna sing this morning um, is a song that we here at Fellowship wrote and I got to be over in our uh, Fayette Kids service a couple weeks ago, and there's a part in the song where in the chorus, uh, it goes, we will shout and sing, and then we yell for joy. And uh, it's, it's me, and I'm with all the kids, and there's these two, these two kids over to my right, and every time we got to that part, we will shout and sing for joy. They yelled at the top of their lungs, Fortnite. Um, <laughs> It was pretty awesome. So this morning, as we sing this first song, I want to ask you not to yell Fortnite. If you don't know what Fortnite is in the room, um, that probably says something about what generation you're born, and that's okay. That's what I love about our church. We've got four generations in here. Um, and so as we sing this first song, whenever we get to that chorus, we will shout and sing for joy. We have so many things to be joyful for because of who God is and because of his promised Messiah. So let's turn and let's stand together. And would you read this out loud with me from Psalm 95? Let's read it together out loud. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and in song. He is worthy of our praise this morning. So let's sing this together. I find my joy in the Lord. He is my hope, he is my shelter and soul. And I will sing of all he's done. He's laid my sin, he healed my heart, he has my Even when I fall in the battle 
Well, we find ourselves in this holiday season again, and I want to wish all of you the very, very best. The gift has become an annual opportunity for us to give back to God during the Christmas season. Our fellowship family has developed a culture of generosity, believing that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to God, our resources can be used to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. Last year, the people of Fellowship gave over $560,000 to the gift, which was prayerfully distributed by the elders to many worthy causes around the world. This year, we will again review the many requests made, but will also consider reducing the current debt with Fellowship Bentonville. Throughout the month of December, we are asking that you please prayerfully consider donating to the gift again. It's between you and God. We will make special envelopes available, or you can visit the giving page on our website, fellowshipnwa.org forward slash the gift. Thank you for your participation in the past and the difference you've made in the lives of so many through your generosity. Let's never forget how good God has been to us. Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Isn't this a great time of year? You've caught us right in the middle of Advent, and it's such a great time. Uh, we wanna welcome you, and if you're new, you can grab that QR code with your phone, or you can text the number on your screen. We're so glad you've joined us here today during this time, and God knew that you would be here with us in this room. There's a couple things we wanna highlight for you this morning. Uh, number one, if you uh, want to join us for Christmas Eve, if you don't have any other Christmas Eve plans, we're gonna have three services uh, for you at two o'clock, 3.30, and five o'clock um, on Christmas Eve. There we go. And a Celebrate Recovery service at seven o'clock. And so uh, we're celebrating joy today. And if you come here Christmas Eve, I know that your joy will be increased by being here. Uh, we also want to highlight that we have uh, devotionals every day on the New Fellowship app. Uh, it's an awesome tool. My new morning routine is the first app I open on my phone is the Bible app, do a little Bible reading, and then I open this app, and I read that Fellowship devotional, and it just gets my mindset for the Advent. And um, if you're somebody who maybe struggles with finding joy this time of year for whatever reason, if you haven't read Yesterday's by Rodney Holdstrom and today by my friend John Marquette. Man, check those out. They will be an encouragement to you. And so download the Fellowship app. There's a ton of great tools on there and uh, you can get a daily devotional for Advent, uh, especially there. Hey, I wanna give you a little bit of an update about a project we've been working on for the last several months. I wanna introduce you to Terry. Terry's one of the residents at the New Beginnings Transitional Homeless Shelter and uh, you may have seen Terry. He used to hang out on a park bench on Dixon Street. And after we were open for about a week, our director Solomon convinced him to come tour New Beginnings. He didn't want any part of it. And when he came and saw that he could have a roof over his head and a bed of his own, and he saw other people that looked like him, 
and saw people that wanted to help him, he changed on a dime in about 30 seconds. And he became one of our residents. And now, if you were to stop by New Beginnings, you would find Terry at the front desk every day, taking a shift as the welcome and reception person. And he's working a plan that's been put together individually for him to find the next stage of housing. And so if, if that doesn't bring you joy, I don't know what would. Um, New Beginnings, if you want more information, um, you can go check out our website, hit that QR code. We've got a list. We asked every one of our 22 residents to put together a list for Christmas of what they might need. And you'll find everything just like you and I, from socks and underwear to an iPad. And uh, if you'd like to help buy a Christmas gift, we're going to play a little Santa Christmas morning and drop some Christmas gifts on each front door of each one of the cabins. Would love for you uh, to check that out. I want to introduce my family this morning, uh, JT, Jackson, Lily, and Emma. This is a really uh, more joyous time for us than most. It was three years ago we started talking about who Jesus was really as the baby born in the manger and that he was a real baby and a real person who ultimately died a real death and rose again. And three years ago, Lily accepted Jesus the day after Christmas and Emma as we approached Easter after that. And last year, both of them, uh, I was so privileged to be able to baptize them uh, and commemorate their choice of faith. And so this is just a super uh, time for us as a family. And so as we light the joy candle, I wanna read for you two of my favorite verses that talk about joy uh, at this time. Luke 2, 9 through 10 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And as the angel met the shepherds in the field that day, the good news wasn't just for them. The good news produced the result of great joy and it's for all the people. It's for my family, it's for you and your family this morning, it's for you watching on the live stream today. And we wanna celebrate the joy that comes from the good news of the gospel in Jesus' birth for all the people today. Church, please stand with us. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above.
priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he'll cause those who are rebellious 
to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until a child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight day, days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Thanks, Scott. My name's Michael. I get to serve on the community team here, and one of the joys of my job is I get to serve with leaders like Scott, who just read the passage, and his wife, Shelly. Leaders like Aaron, who was up here with his family to light the candle. And I get to be with y'all. And so here we are in our Advent series. I'm so excited to be with you. Those of you who can't join us in person or on the live stream, we're glad to have you with us this morning as well. You know, we might not always think of Zechariah and Elizabeth as key figures in the Christmas story, but as you heard that, what Scott just read, they play a very important role. You know, when I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, I kind of imagine them being that old couple in their community that everybody loved. I can't help but think that they're one of those couples that always has a, an extra helping for the hungry, always had an encouraging word for the struggling. And since they had no children of their own, I'm imagining that they were kind of the aunt and uncle for, for all the kids in their little Judean village there. They both came from priestly lines, which probably made it that much more painful for them that they couldn't have a child. They knew that this legacy of faithful service that had been passed down generation after generation wouldn't go on past them. And they didn't just serve their neighbors. When it was their turn, they would go and, and serve at this, in the big city in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's possible and maybe even likely that the day that Zechariah got to go in and offer incense, the day Scott just read about, that might have been the only time in his whole life that he got to do that. So there he was in the temple, in the holy place, standing before the golden offer, off the golden altar, offering incense, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And an angel appears. 
Now, just like with Mary, the angel is Gabriel. If you missed two weeks ago, Garland explained the significance of Gabriel. If you didn't hear that sermon, I suggest go back and listen to that. And just like with Mary, he's terrified. And just like with Mary, he's doubtful. But there's a big difference. See, Mary was a teenager. And the angel appeared to Mary, delivering her some totally unexpected news. And Mary ends her encounter with the angel by saying, let it be to me according to your word. Zechariah, on the other hand, he's a priest. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. He's in the holy place. The only place closer to God was the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go in there and even he could only go in there once a year. And Gabriel appears and brings Zechariah the answer to his prayer. The first thing he says is, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Can you imagine how many times Zechariah had prayed for a child? And now Gabriel appears to a priest standing in the holy place, offering incense to God and tells him the biggest prayer of his life has been answered. And Zechariah's response is basically, eh, I don't know about that. And due to his lack of faith, he's silenced. For nine months, Gabriel says, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Ladies, imagine what a gift that would be. A husband who is unable to offer comments, insights, and opinions the entire duration of your pregnancy. Zechariah can't speak until the baby's born. And we're gonna spend the bulk of our time talking about what Zechariah does say when his mouth is opened and the Holy Spirit fills him. But before we get to that, can I give a minute to Elizabeth? Can Elizabeth get one minute? We always just fly over her when we're working through these passages. But Elizabeth, I want us to think about her for a moment. First of all, her name means God is my oath. Now, as 21st century Americans, we don't give much thought to what our names mean, but in the Bible, names are significant. So here's Elizabeth, daughter of a priest, wife of a priest. Her name means God is my oath or God is my promise. And yet, the passage says she's unable to conceive. She can't have a child. So I wanna speak to everyone listening who's dealing with infertility. I know you think you aren't seen. I know you think you aren't heard. I know you're struggling with something that is incredibly difficult and it seems like nobody understands. And here's what I want you to know. We care about you. And more importantly, God cares about you. Look at Elizabeth. She went through her life with this huge unanswered prayer but the text says that she was righteous. It says she was righteous before God. She walked blamelessly in all his commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And so infertility doesn't mean that God is mad at you. Infertility doesn't mean you've done something wrong or that you should feel shame. And if you're walking through this and you feel like you're alone, 
I want you to know there are people right here in your family of faith, right here at Fellowship Fayetteville, who have already walked the road that you're on and they wanna be a blessing to you. And so if you feel alone in this and you want to get connected with someone, you can talk to anybody on our staff. You can talk to me after the service. You can talk to Dave or any of our people who are leading worship up here. You can go to the women's booth and talk to Margot. You can go to the prayer room. There are people here who want to come alongside you, people who understand and who care. And we see in Elizabeth, a woman who is not defined by her infertility. She is defined by her incredible faith. Think about it. Mary gets a visit from an angel. And rightly so, right? She's getting some pretty world-shaking news. Zechariah gets a visit from an angel and totally blows it. Even Joseph gets a visit from an angel in a dream. The only person in this whole story who doesn't have an angel encounter is Elizabeth. And I think it's because she doesn't need it. She already has so much faith. When Mary shows up to visit her, John the Baptist leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth said, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come visit me? Elizabeth has so much faith she recognizes Jesus as Lord before he's even born. In fact, she's the first person in the scripture to proclaim Jesus as Lord. So props to Elizabeth. Forgotten, overlooked Elizabeth. She's a hero of the faith. <laughs> I didn't write pause for applause in my manuscript, but thank you for that. As for silent Zechariah, when John the Baptist is born, Zechariah is finally obedient to what the angel said. He says, no, his name's John. And in that simple act of obedience, his tongue is loosed and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to pray. By the way, have y'all noticed? The Holy Spirit is all over this story. Garland mentioned two weeks ago, it seems like there's angels popping up everywhere. The Holy Spirit keeps showing up in Luke 1 and 2. Sometimes we overlook him, but he is a key figure in this. He is mentioned seven times in the first two chapters of Luke. The Holy Spirit plays an important role in the incarnation, which is the second person of the Trinity, the Son taking on flesh and being born as a human being. So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he utters this incredible psalm of praise and prophecy, and that's what we're gonna spend most of our time together this morning looking at. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one. We've already read verse 67. We're gonna pick it up in verse 68, and we're calling this passage an uncle prophesies because, yes, Zechariah is the father of John, who will later be known as John the Baptist, but the real subject of this prophecy is not his son. It's his nephew, Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit fills the uncle of our Lord Jesus, and he utters this incredible hymn of praise. It's called the Benedictus, which is Latin for blessed be, the first two words of the hymn. So I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna invite you to follow along in your Bible. We'll have it on the screen as well. This is the Benedictus from Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And it's a beautiful hymn of praise, and it serves to answer the question the people posed in verse 66. What kind of child will this be? Zechariah, whose name means Yahweh remembers. The Lord remembers. He speaks this prophecy that's given to him by the Holy Spirit, and it's a chain of praise. He blesses God, which means he praises him for keeping his promises to David, to Abraham. And then he looks forward to what he will do through this baby John as he prepares the way for the Messiah, who he says will rise like the sun to bring light to a dark world. Now, one of the reasons that this hymn of praise is so important is it's the connector from the Old Testament to the new. He says in verse 76 that John will be a prophet, but John is going to be ushering in a whole new era in salvation history. And y'all, the Old Testament just drips from every phrase in this passage. By my count, there are at least 38 quotations, allusions, and direct references to specific Old Testament texts in just these 12 verses. I was so taken aback by that as I studied it that I compiled them all and I put them in a document. And then our great media team leader, Hallie, worked extra time this weekend to get that document on the website. So if you go to fellowshipfayable.org and you click on today's sermon, you'll see some resources there, discussion guide, devotionals, the teaching slides are there. If you click on Old Testament references, I've got the 38 that I noted on that document. That would be a great thing for you to use this week in your quiet time as you reflect on these Old Testament promises and how they were fulfilled in Jesus. Because the theme of the passage today is that God keeps his promises. The man whose name means the Lord remembers is reminding us God keeps his promises. Let's look at it. Look at verse 68. It begins with, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is a direct quotation from 1 Kings 148. And the context of that passage is Solomon being enthroned as the king of Israel. See, God promised David that his son would sit on the throne. Here, Zechariah uses that same phrase when he says, blessed be God, because God has redeemed and visited his people. So how then has God visited his people? Through the Messiah, the unborn child that Mary's carrying. 
This unborn child will be the very presence of God. His visitation of his people has already begun, not in judgment, but in grace. And he's raised up, Zechariah says, a horn of salvation. The imagery here is of an ox using its horns, raising up its head, thwarting an attacker. The Messiah will be powerful. And here's the promise theme again. He'll come from the house of his servant David, just like the prophets had said. Here he's referring back to 2 Samuel 7. We call it the Davidic covenant or the Davidic promise. God told David that eventually he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne forever. Zechariah is saying this promise is being fulfilled in the birth of the Messiah who's gonna save Israel from their enemies. And this powerful Messiah is gonna bring deliverance by displaying God's mercy. That word mercy, Clark pointed this out to us last week. It points back to this Old Testament word, hesed. And it means God's unfailing love, God's covenant-keeping love, the love of God that never gives up on us. He says he's gonna bring this deliverance through his hesed, his mercy, and through covenant-keeping. Not just the covenant with David. Look at verse 73. He's pointing all the way back to the covenant with Abraham. Now, you can find the Abrahamic covenant in a lot of places, but I usually think of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And in that covenant or promise, God says he's going to bless the whole world. To put it simply, God's keeping his promises. His promises to David. His promises to Abraham. His promises to all of us, and he's doing so through the Messiah. And then look at the expected outcome of this deliverance. It's that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, in his coming, Jesus didn't just deliver us from our enemies, sin and death. He delivered us for a lifetime of service to God, living for him. The coming of Jesus infuses our lives with meaning and purpose unlike anything else ever could. That's why this coming, this advent is so important. It changed everything. And then in verse 76, I love the image Garland gave me for this. We were talking about the passage. He said, it feels like the camera pans from Zechariah and then zooms in on this baby. And so I want you to picture that in your mind as we look at it. The scene shifts from Zechariah and zooms in on baby John, and Zechariah says this, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Did you notice that suddenly the tense switches? He stops talking about what God has done and starts talking about what he's going to do by sending the as yet unborn Jesus. You know, in this moment, there had been four centuries that there was no prophetic voice in Israel. 400 years of silence. And now, in a revelation given to him by the Holy Spirit, Zechariah looks at this baby, this miracle baby, predicted by an angel, given to an elderly couple, and I can't help but imagining 
tears running down the face of this old priest as he looks at his son and says, you will be the prophet of the Most High. That phrase, prophet of the Most High, it's not applied to any other person in the whole Bible. John wasn't just a prophet. He was the final prophet in the Old Testament model. Jesus said there was nobody born of women greater than John. But he wasn't the Messiah. He was the one who would go before the Messiah and prepare the way. Zechariah says, John's gonna give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. That's what Messiah Jesus is going to bring. And it's a reference to Jeremiah 31, 34, where the new covenant is described. Because of, here it is again, the tender mercy of our God. That hesed love of God that never gives up on us. And he says the Messiah will bring light. It's like a sunrise. He's quoting from Isaiah 58, Isaiah 60. Those sitting in darkness, the darkness of death and sin, will will see the light and be guided to peace. That's from Malachi 4.2. And as we look carefully at this, there's some really interesting things tucked into the original language. One is that phrase, tender mercies. The word that's translated tender in our English Standard Version. In the original Greek, it actually means bowels. In other words, the most inside deep place we have. We still talk that way sometimes, don't we? We say, man, I have a gut feeling. Man, I felt that in my gut. That's the word here. And it's connected to that hesed love of God. God's covenant-keeping love, the love that never gives up on us. In the original language, the Holy Spirit's inspiring Zechariah to tell us that comes from the deepest part of God. It's from God's heart. Man, what a powerful thought that is. What a powerful thought that the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the grace that's expressed in the birth of Jesus Christ comes from the very heart of God. And then the other phrase that really caught my attention here was the sunrise. Because I noticed in older translations, it's translated as day spring. The Greek word there is anatole, and it means to spring up. So a sunrise, the sun springs up, day spring. Now, as you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But by the time of Zechariah, they already had a Greek translation of the Old Testament. We call it the Septuagint, and it's really useful for us to see how people at the time of Jesus used the Greek words, especially in relation to the Old Testament. And this word, Anatole, it shows up in some really interesting places in that Greek translation of the Old Testament. Look with me at Jeremiah 23, 5. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous Anatole, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute Justice and righteousness in the land. This was written 600 years before the time of Zechariah. 
And the Greek translation uses the same word, anatole, to mean a branch that shoots off, that springs up from David's family tree. It's a messianic prophecy given to Israel in exile that one day, Yahweh, God, the creator God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel would send a branch, a shoot. It would spring off of the line of David to rule as a wise and righteous king. But if we go back even further, we find the same word all the way back in the time of Moses. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And Anatole, a star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. All the way back in the time of Moses, this is a prophet named Balaam who says this, and if you're familiar with the story, he's kind of a mess, but it specifically says in this passage that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, the same Holy Spirit who came on Zechariah, and he gives him this incredible prophecy. Notice he says that a star will spring up, Anatole, but he says it's not near. A ruler will rise like a star from Jacob. Jacob, the man that God would change his name to Israel, who would have a descendant, David, who would have a descendant, Jesus. The ancestor would be the Messiah who would rise like a star, bringing light. And I'm sharing all of this because I really believe that the Holy Spirit working through Zechariah is pulling all of this Old Testament prophecy together in this one statement. The Messiah, the branch from David's family tree, the star that will rise from Jacob, the sun that will bring the light of mercy and salvation to shine on the face of his people. That's what Advent is. That's why we put candles in the windows and lights on trees and lights on our homes because God was doing just what he promised. He was bringing the light of salvation to all of us who sat in the darkness of sin and death. He was lighting the path of our feet, the path to peace with God, all because God keeps his promises. And we can see that that's the central idea of the whole passage if we look at the structure. You might be familiar with the idea of a chiasm. It's an ancient method for structuring a text where you repeat words to highlight a central point. The words repeat sort of from the top down and from the bottom up. Look at it with me. He starts with God in verse 78. No, he, he starts with God, and then he refers to him again in verse 78. He mentions salvation in verse 69, and then again in verse 77. He references the prophets in verse 70, and then again in verse 76. He talks about enemies in verses 71 and 74. He mentions fathers in 72 and 73. You see how this forms an arrow that points to the central idea of the passage, and it points to this. God remembers his holy covenant. All the promises God made to David, all the promises God made to Abraham, all the promises God made to Israel, all God's promises to the world, he keeps and he kept them in the Messiah, Jesus. 
So yes, Zechariah's son would be the prophet of the Most High. He would prepare the way for the king. But it would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-awaited king who would fulfill God's promises. And so today, that's what we celebrate. The promise has been fulfilled. The king has come. The God of the universe took on flesh and was born in a stable. He brings light to the darkness. He brings life to the dying. He brings hope to the hopeless. God remembers his covenant. God keeps his promises. And he does it through the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. He does it by keeping the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. You stand with us. Let's sing this familiar song. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And some captive Israel. That mortal lonely exile until the Son of God appears. Come now, day spring.
would come to pave the way, even from the very beginning, for an even greater miracle baby who would come to save us from our sins and be God with us. So Fellowship Fayetteville, I hope you'll be back here with us next week as we continue our Advent series. I hope you'll have fruitful time in God's word as you study your Advent passages and devotionals. And don't forget, Christmas Eve, it's coming up quick. It's a great time to invite your friends, your neighbors, bring your out-of-town family. We're all gonna worship in here at the times on the screen as a family together. Hey, if you'd like to pray with someone, the prayer team is in the prayer room through these doors over here. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. We'll see you next week.